just saying, she didn't she didn't look eleven, right? Right. Okay. So that's not on me. Okay. Look, mate, you don't. It's not me. You have to convince. Yeah, I know. It's her parents, right? But they're like stuck quarantined on that planet now, right? And also, they're, they're aging rapidly. So I think that solves itself. Yeah. Do you know the age of consent on Bajor is six? That's just when they reach maturity. I don't want to go into details of how I know that, but uh, that was one hell of a stag weekend. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate 30-something. I've lost track completely. Uh, these are the continued voyages of me, Eddie Edwards, and my friend and colleague, Mark O'Neill, as we go all the way through Star Trek. Mark, how, how you doing? How you been? Uh, yeah. Pretty good. I... What have I done? Not a lot, mate. <laughs> I went to see the killers. That was really good. Yeah. I, I was so, so... Uh, enraptured by the by the by the the spectacle of the show that they put on, they they used a giant screen as their background, and I and I assume it's the same. It was the same sort of material as the volume. It's just like a big L, LCD screen, uh, yeah. and it was and it was incredible. At one point, they showed the Las Vegas Strip, and it lit up. Oh, it was got it was so good. That at no point during the entire show did I stop to think, what does Brandon Flowers think about abortion? <laughs> or like, if gay ma- if gay marriage went away, would he be that bothered? I I I as a general rule of thumb, don't Google mu- musicians that I like. Uh, yeah, I've, I I wait until someone presents me with the problem with them. Yeah. And then I have to be like, ah, oh, f- like you know. That's why I'm glad that Daft Punk have got masks on. I don't even know what they look <laughs> like. They they could be they could have been in the January sixth insurrection, and I'm not even going to know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the same with the rubber bandits, those plastic bags, and that's why they yeah. do it so that they can commit crimes. <laughs> but I I uh, I went to see the Killers basically because they're Laura's favourite band, and I thought, well, this this will be nice. It'll be a nice day out. But I don't really know much of the Killers. No, they played about 20 songs and I knew about 17 of them. <laughs> yeah. And at I, one point I turned around to Laura and said, I think the Killers are my favourite band. <laughs> and I'd never even realised it. <laughs> I love when you go see a band and you can like think of like, like you're at like a festival and somebody goes, oh, we should go see these. And you've got like two songs that you think you know. Yeah. And then they just keep, like I had it happen with Chic. Where like Noel Rogers is like, oh, we don't play any covers. If you think we're playing covers, it's songs I wrote, and then just starts like <laughs> knocking out like I think he learns how like Material Girl, 
at one point, which he wrote for like Madonna, and I was like, I think I think Chic are the best band. <laughs> that happened to me with Travis. Was it Travis? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was Travis. I saw them at a festival, and uh, I was like, I only know one Travis song, but it, it turns out that they they just have one like all their songs all sound exactly the same. <laughs> so that's what the issue was, and I knew that one song that they did. So that got me through that entire set. The best musical experience I've ever had at a festival was when um, I saw, um, oh Christ, uh, Cypress Hill, and then they were directly on the main stage at Reading, and then they were directly followed by Weezer, which is a very specific Venn diagram of musical interests that is pretty much just me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fallout Boy, and and I think, is it Fallout Boy and Panic at the Disco? are doing like this uh, you know the, the way that sometimes bands will, will group together to do tours when they don't think Fallout Boy alone could, could sell out uh, the, the Hydro without realising that there isn't, well the Venn, the Venn diagram of people who enjoy Fallout Boy and Panic at the Disco is a, is, is, is a circle, a, right? It's not even a circle, yeah. it's, it's a full stop it, yeah. it, it doesn't even have like it's a one-dimensional shape. I once had that with Goldfinger and Real Big Fish, and it's like you're not getting any extra people through the door, lads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what they did was they decided to team up with Weezer. And it's like, well, hold on a minute, I I don't get this. Are you trying to start fights? <laughs> I'd love that. I reckon like just like diametrically opposed bands. Like the next time Justin Bieber goes on tour, he should have like fucking Amon Farrar, the metal band, as his support. <laughs> yeah. And DJ Khaled. <laughs> <laughs> so that both of them can, can get fucking taken out at once. I'm two weeks away from doing Glastonbury, which I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. I find out. So I find out next week whether or not the treat. I find out on next Thursday whether or not the treatment of my brain tumor was successful. Right. Right, and if it was, then I'm going to go to Glastonbury and celebrate. And if it wasn't, then I'm going to have to have surgery that's going to make me go deaf in one ear. So I might as well go see Paul McCartney before that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he plays the frog song. Uh, (laughs) I don't understand that reference. You've never seen the frog song by Paul McCartney? No. Okay, uh, to be fair, in fairness, it's a Rupert the Bear animated short, and Rupert is the toriest of all the bears. Yeah. Paddington's clear. I know Paddington lives in a very posh part of London, but he's an illegal immigrant, so he's definitely left wing. But Rupert wears yellow tartan trousers and couldn't be more of a fucking Tory if he tried. Uh, so, I, um, it's yeah, it's so just occurred to me that I didn't even realise there was a difference between Rupert the Bear and Paddington. Rupert's a, a very, very... Rupert's a white bear who lives in the woods of England, which is weird enough. What's his, uh, what's but, his shtick? Um, uh, he has, like, very twee, Enid Blyton-style adventures. But what, one of them, there is a, a special that was made. I think it was a Christmas special called The Frog Song, where Rupert is in the woods following a frog, because that's the kind of thing that fucking Tory children do for entertainment. Right, whereas the rest of us try to avoid getting stabbed on the council estate. So he's following this frog. He goes round a corner and it turns out the frog is attending a meeting of all of the frogs. And the king of the frogs gets up and they do this big musical number that lasts for like seven or eight minutes. And super weirdly is entirely written by and performed by Paul McCartney. Just because 
I don't know. Like, like at some point, some point, if you pull McCartney, at some point, you're going to do a very bad batch of LSD. <laughs> <laughs> How, I mean, how much can there possibly be going on in a frog's life that it can fill seven minutes worth a song? It's a weird, it's a weird call for frog unity, which would be almost socialist if it wasn't being sung in honour of the frog. A frog's famously capitalist, or I, I, I don't know. The chorus is just "We all stand together." Bomb, bomb. Um, what I, if? I, you know what? I'm going to find it online after we've recorded this. I'm going to send it to you because it is worth a watch just for being fucking weird. Right. It might be one of the, now I come to think about it. It might be something that I've seen and you haven't because it was like broadcast in like in, in England and had that weird not broadcast in Scotland like little tag thrown on the end. It's yeah, <laughs> not or, yeah. Or, or when uh, or when they had not for bro- when they when an episode of. Um... Thomas the Tank Engine couldn't be broadcast in Northern Ireland uh, because it prominently <laughs> featured Jerry Adams. His face was fine, but they had to dub over his voice. <laughs> These are, if if anyone doesn't this, understand you... that reference, by the yeah. way, go, go and look that up. If you if you listen to this from a different country, two things that we need to be clear: one, Jerry Adams was only allowed on the news if his voice was dubbed over because he had a very commanding voice, and they wanted to rob his opinions of substance somehow. <laughs> and two. For a weird reason, the BBC every now and then in most of the UK would like announce that the next show was going to be coming on, and they just for some reason just be going. Except in Scotland, mm-hmm. where and and it's not like it was a regional thing because like BBC had regional television anyway, where everyone got their time slots. But there were just certain things that somebody at the BBC were like, "No, no, the Scots won't like that." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think you guys just got broadcast somebody punching uh, punching the Union Jack for thirty minutes. Uh, yeah, we just we, we got Rapsi Nesbitt reading the news, and then Rapsi Nesbitt doing the weather. And then a movie review show where Rabsy Nesbitt reviewed <laughs> episodes of Rabsy Nesbitt, in which he went to, in which he spoke about movies. Um, and then the real news, which was mainly about Rabsy Nesbitt, to be honest. You've reminded me of my favourite, one of my favourite Frankie Boyle jokes. <laughs> he's like, he's, he's turning around and goes, I was at the Scottish BAFTAs. I know, the Scottish BAFTAs, it's like finding out the animals have got their own Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Scot. I worked at the Scottish Baftas once, just as a they they hosted it in a a sort of museum tourist type thing that I used to work in, uh, the Glasgow Science Centre, and uh, I don't really, I, I I jumped into this anecdote with a lot of confidence, Eddie, but there's nothing really there. Um, I found out that Robert Carlyle is a lot shorter than you think he is. No, oh, okay. And he had his everybody hair. on TV's shorter than you think they are. And he had his hair from. Uh, Stargate uh, at, uh, Universe and I was like oh you must oh. be filming more Stargate and that was it that was the entirety of that interaction <laughs> and then it turned out he wasn't filming more Stargate Stargate Universe I think it was I think this is between seasons one and two was Stargate Universe the one that took it entirely took place on a ship stuck between two galaxies with no Stargating about Fundamentally no. missing the appeal of the Stargate premise. No, so Stargate Universe took place on a ship. Right, strapping. So <laughs> Stargate Universe is about the ninth chevron. So Stargate has nine sections. Yep. And uh, if you dial up to seven sections, will get you to a point in space in our galaxy. That's the address of another Stargate. If you yeah. add on the eighth one. It will take you to 
outside of, of our it. galaxy. So you, you would yeah. go to the, the Pegasus galaxy or you might go Which to the Atlantis. Which is where Atlantis is. Uh, the ninth uh, Chevron acted as like a like a home button. Um, and they, when they managed to finally get enough power to actually dial it, it took them to... What the fuck was the name of the ship? The summon, but whatever ship, right? It, because the idea is that this ship uh, is the thing that seeded the galaxy with stargates. So it would fly around all the planets and drop stargates onto them. So from the ship, you can get to anywhere in the current galaxy. But the problem is you can't get from there to Earth. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... But the way they, the way they get around uh, using Earth is that in Stargate, there's like a technology where there's two crystals. The ZPMs, I'm aware. The, the zero-point <laughs> modules, yes. But no, there's also the, the, the crystals where um, if you... And, and there's like a kind of old sort of little altar thing. And it's like quantum mechanics, quantum entanglement. So if you put the crystal and then touch the thing... And the other person on Earth puts the crystal and then touches the thing. You switch bodies. Oh, okay. Um, and there's a there's an there's an interesting episode where uh, the so the ship the ship is fucked right in a, in a sense, and they they can't really there's bits of it they have to fix. And the only person on Earth who has the engineering skills <laughs> useful enough to to be able to fix this right. Uh, they have to swap bodies with her, but the only problem is she's like a full scale, like ventilator dependent quadriplegic. And <laughs> the people who swatch the bodies with her like can't handle it. So they instantly yeah. switch back. So they just need to they need to just keep going through them until they find someone that's fucking hardly <laughs> enough to like <laughs> live live in that existence. Um which is weird because at the same time it's like well yeah, they that's 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 interesting, right? But also, they never really switched back. If I remember correctly, they never switched back to the, the the version on the ship, like that woman who's like all of a sudden, oh great, I can move. Um, and how, like, look, I, I get it, right? Engineering is, is 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 a lot of it is theory, but also, <laughs> come on, man, yeah. like how how would you even know what you were doing? Why not? I don't, I don't fuck it. Why? Yeah, why not have? Get this. Why not get the second best engineer? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, welcome to our Stargate pot. No, um, <laughs> which you talk about. Okay. I just want to say this. I I was very set up to not enjoy this episode of Star Trek because Mark it started off and I feel it was a, a, a bit of a bait and switch because I thought that this was going to be a Pulaski episode, but it turned out, Mark. It was a fucking O'Brien episode. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I looked it up. This is the first time the the, the, the name O'Brien was used. Mm-hmm. He's not been named. He's been unknown. And I can't find any information on like the story of how he went from like featured fucking extra to like other than Cole Meany is a fucking absolute fucking boy and everybody fucking loves him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Interestingly, this is also the first time uh, that the phrase Brits out is used in Star Trek. <laughs> Is is Colmini the Star Trek net, like actor who's had the best non Star Trek career? Like I don't think Colmini like does uh, like the Sir Patrick the, Stewart. Okay, but Patrick Stewart's <laughs> let me hear me out. 
Patrick Stewart's career isn't as a result of Star Trek, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. he was always... So, like, he was... But, like, Colmini is, like, come in as, like, a, like literally a nobody, featured extra, works his way up through the ranks to recurring, like, main star in Deep Space Nine. Comes out, and then instead of, like, doing Star Trek conventions and constantly being, like, turning up in Discovery and stuff, he went on to be, you know, an actor. He's, he's in things like... Uh, he's in Lair Cake and shit like that. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> He's like he plays he, yeah. he he plays Charlie's dad and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot about that. <laughs> so yeah, the, the plot of this episode there's a, a strange condition that's making everybody get old quick. Um, that that's it. Yeah, they, well, there's there's slightly and more. Pulaski's and Pulaski's really desperate to be locked in a room alone with a twelve year old. Uh, make of that what you will. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, straight off the bat, I never thought I'd say this. <laughs> she's not she's not getting MVP, not in an episode with O'Brien in it. But No. She's getting promoted. Yeah, she does she does well. She, she does well in this episode. She she, she she does well. There are like so yeah, like the whole thing is like Pulaski's desperate to do medicine and everyone's like, Well, it's not safe. We don't know what's causing it. They find a ship with a bunch of people who've died of old age. Yeah. And then they turn up and they find that there's like... By the way, Mark, how bad must that be if you're the actor who's like the lead person who's cast in the... <laughs> like, it's like, we want you to play a woman who looks horrifyingly aged. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you know that Hans Molman joke? Where he's like, alcohol has ruined my life. I'm 35 years old. That, you're doing that. <laughs> you are... You are Hans Molman in actual physical form. And it's, it's, it's literally, it is kind of embarrassing to society in general, but what they did is they cast a woman in her 40s. Uh, and, and we were supposed to recoil in horror from the screen going, ah! Because that wasn't allowed on TV in the 90s. To be fair, if I woke up tomorrow and I was 40, that, that'd be it. I'd be out. I've got less than t- two years until I get s- Logan's run plus tend. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yeah. So they come up. They come up. They come up. They find this ship. Yeah, the Lantry. Everyone's everyone's dead, and uh, yeah. Riker is like that guy, that captain. He was my age. So then they go to, and you're like, right, the only place it's been. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some kind of disease. So they fly to, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the Darwin Genetic Research like, Station. I wonder what could possibly be happening there, Mark. Yeah, and also <laughs> they, they arrive there and they're like, oh, everyone else has this disease. Oh, oh no, that's really horrible. So everyone's aging really quickly. Oh, man, that's that's got to be, you must have been messing about with the, the forces of nature. You must have been, like, using, you know, some sort of disease or virus or something. No, it's because of our psychic kids. <laughs> no, it's, the great thing about it is that they go like at first they're like, well, no, it can't possibly be anything we've done. We're not doing anything viral or anything weird like that. It's like, oh, what are you doing? It's like, oh, we've got these psychic children. <laughs> the oldest. Okay, <laughs> do we? We okay. I need to bring up two things about this. One, the Darwin Genetic Research Station. It's nice to know that by this point in the future, there's still only one famous geneticist. And, <laughs> wait, and, and two. Right. Okay. So the oldest of this children, these children, we are told is twelve, right? 
Not one of them looks under the age of 21. No. And this raises some very, very, very difficult questions, I feel, for them. I don't think it does, um, because uh, if anything, the, you know, genetically engineering children to look older, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the peoples of Savile Andrew 9 will not take kindly to this infraction. <laughs> but there's... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, are you are you creating, are you are you solving a problem by creating a new opposite problem? Yeah, you've 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 no longer will the, these children be attracting paedophiles, but they will be attracting normal people who don't know that they're children. Isn't this what the movie Jack is about? I, I think it's also what the movie Big is about. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, isn't genetic modification like illegal in the Federation? Yes, I believe I th- I thought it was. I I wrote down that I thought human genetic testing would have been outlawed after yeah. Khan, you know, <laughs> the Khan thing, and something <laughs> called the eugenics wars, <laughs> which really seems that, that really should put a, a big full stop, a big underline. So. I, I was looking into. I was. I was. Go, I actually did a little bit of like research into this, and it turns so you're not allowed to join Starfleet if you're genetically modified, right? Okay, but like that's like Starfleet and the Federation, as we've discussed, are not the same thing. They're different things. So that means that maybe genetic modification for like science purposes is acceptable. Yeah. But equally, as is, uh, this is not a, a spoiler. This is something from Strange New Worlds. There's a race called the Illyrians, mm. who are a race who don't terraform planets. They genetically modify themselves to like fit the environment on the planet that they want to move to. And they are very specifically not allowed to join the Federation. Interesting. Yeah, so I don't know. But I like wow. the idea that they were on this. I, it's just because of the whole Khan thing. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that only happened once. And only on Earth as well. Wouldn't yeah. it be great if the Vulcans were like, well, every other planet's been fine with genetic modification. It's just you, you Yeah, exactly. Ones. I mean, the Vulcans are like, look, we get it, but we also had a Hitler, and t- it turns out that that guy, you know, he did, yeah, he just he made the, uh, he, he brought down gas prices. No, that's bad. That's a, that, I was trying to look for something really innocent, and then, I, and then I, yeah. I've done a bad connection. Well, were the, were the Vulcans like, well, we let our Hitler into art school? Uh, <laughs> exactly. And what did we get? Just a shitty artist. <laughs> I saw a, a thing online the other day, and it was a picture of like paintings before World War Two, and then paintings after World War Two, and it was like all cubist was and it, stuff. Well, they well they buy Hitler, so everything after World War Two was just a blank space. It was, it was so it's like like all of the lovely like uh like people painting landscapes and stuff is like pre-world war ii and then post-world war ii like modern art starts like cubism and somebody just put underneath well, after world war ii they just decided to let everybody into art school <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i saw that yeah i saw i saw an incredible uh tweet the other day that really stuck with me it really made me laugh it was um someone said i if there is a hell when jeff bezos goes there uh, he should be forced to work a minimum wage job until such time as he has saved enough money to get to his current level of wealth. 
which reminds me of years ago. I can't remember where I read it where somebody calculated that if Bill Gates put all of his money under his bed, under his mattress, and then fell out of bed due to compound interest, he would never hit the ground. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> richer than gravity. Uh, <laughs> that was the name of his first album. <laughs> No one bought it because it was like, no, this guy can't rap. <laughs> right, so anyway, the, the the thing with the psychic kids is it turns out they've got too good an immune system mm-hmm. and the ship that landed had a guy had the flu and instead of like waiting for him to get the flu, the they sort it out and then it's rewriting everybody's DNA. It's basically the exact same plot of the gas mask kid in Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah, it is. But instead of making you gas masky, it makes you aged and withered. And then, like, so they want to beam, like, they they want to beam one of the kids over, and they have to do it in like a gel stasis thing. So, and then, like, Pulaski's like, "Well, I can't do anything here. What if we put him in a shuttle?" But well, she goes and talks to Geordie, and Geordie's like, does that classic thing that Geordie likes to do, where he's asked a question, has a very clear implication. And he has an answer, but he likes to get there with some unnecessary information. So it's like, well, there's nowhere on the Enterprise is completely disconnected from anywhere else. You can't just use anywhere. Unless, of course, you're talking about a shuttle. It's like, we could decide with shuttle, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you the chief engineer? <laughs> Isn't that, like, that, that's, that shouldn't even take brain power. Like, at, yeah. at, at no point, if, if Laura came up to me and said, can you can you give me a lift into work? At no point would I be like, well, it would take more time for me to build a horse and cart than it would for you to get the bus. But wait, what if we used the car? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, Jordy. Um, so um, I like the fact some things I love in this episode. One is uh, Picard gets into an argument with Pulaski where he uses the phrase "Let me finish my sentences once in a while," <laughs> which is like, "Now you know how fucking data feels." You fucking. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I like that, uh, that this episode opened with uh, Councillor Troy coming to to Picard and Picard asking her, "You've obviously been hanging out with Pulaski, right? You've you've met her, right? We all <laughs> and." <laughs> She's 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 very she, what was it? She's very determined. She's very on a mission. She's very one. Yeah, she's got kind of one one focus. Do you think that that could impede her judgment? Um, and I wish uh, Troy had turned around and went. I'd say the racism probably does more to impede her judgment <laughs> than just she, how much she likes being a doctor. Uh, I like the fact that Troy says she's got a well-established personality, and I was like, yeah, it's McCoy's. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we were trying to remember this. Does McCoy also have the aversion to transporters? I vaguely recall it. Yeah, yeah. she's uh, yeah, she's and and to be fair, I, I want to bring this up because we we've, we've talked about this before. And the 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 idea is that they don't like transporters because they don't like having their molecules spread all over the world and they like and all that. But in Star Trek, it is established canonically. That the, the transporter does work by killing you and creating a new version of you at the other end. You keep bringing this up, right? <laughs> I've never found any evidence of this. Where, where does it establish this canonically? There are two Rikers later on, Mark. Yeah. Which implies that they, if one materialised at the other end and the other one stayed behind, that implies that what the transporter failed to do was kill the first Riker. Uh, d- uh, dis- d- disagree. 
<laughs> that's that's jumping to conclusions um, there. It just it, no, I, it's, it's what I choose to believe. It right. is a horrifying piece of technology. When you make a photocopy, Eddie, it, it it doesn't destroy the entire world around the photocopier, no, and then just it, create it, a new universe in which there is a slightly worse version of the thing that you photocopy. But the one that comes out the other end isn't the original. And that's the problem here. Is your consciousness ends the moment you stand on that pad. But well, no, like if somebody if you <laughs> if you stepped into a machine that cloned you, yeah. You would there would be two of you. You wouldn't yeah. just be in charge of two bodies. No, 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 but what that means is but that's what it's doing. It's cloning a new you at the other end and then it's the version of you that steps on. You just you cease. You don't exist anymore. You don't. It's not like you don't wake up at the other end. That's another dude. I I think the clone is the one at the beginning. At the beginning. See, all I'm saying is it's open up for debate enough that I'm never using a transporter. <laughs> um. So speaking of Riker, Riker actually makes. First of all, I wrote down because obviously Picard. I, I, they get, what did they get the the um, the distress call from the from the other ship. Yeah, uh, Riker then comes in. Picard's like, right, this is a bit of an emergency, and Riker then comes in through the bridge doors, and he does that quite a lot. So I always wonder what is Riker always doing just before he walks onto the bridge, having a shit. That's uh... <laughs> there's got to be a toilet. Right, that's that. That's off that. the bridge. Fixed. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there has to be. Yeah, right. It's like can't you can't be going down, like especially if it's like a a, bat, a situation that's got everybody on edge. You know, very much brown trousers time. <laughs> you don't want people having to go down like two fucking flights of the fucking turbo lift. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, Riker makes some very good decisions. So they, they they find the ship, they get the distress call, but the ship is they're not returning the hail. So. Yeah. Picard and quite an interesting bit of admin. Yeah, I like this. Oh, oh, well, Riker suggests, why don't we remote activate the view screen so that we can at least then see them? Yeah, which is a much safer idea than Riker has ever had. <laughs> yeah, just beam me over. I'll be fine. Yeah, love exactly. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I love all of the stuff about like this. It's like so right, like. Picard goes into another room and uses his like top level override. Yeah. This clearly has to do because he can't do it in front of other people because it's thing. And then he goes out and then data transports it across. And then they have access to the ship. And then they put a beacon on that starts like broadcasting out the ship is under quarantine. Don't go near it. I like all of that. I was like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, this is very like procedural of like how Starfleet approaches this ship. That <laughs> clearly must happen all the time. Uh- <laughs> So something else, one of my big takeaways from this episode as well is that there was some spectacular captaining. Yeah, in, yeah, in not, this was... In, t- in terms of, and I don't just mean like, oh, go and do something exciting. I mean, Picard sat down with his trusted advisors. He asked everyone's advice. He ignored Pulaski for the most part. Um, <laughs> fucking... Big O'Brien, the big man, gets a seat at the table. Uh, oh god! I when he turned up in the conference room, yep. I, I did a full-on fist pump. I was so so pleased. Uh, <laughs> yep, I, I I love a I love a conference um, <laughs> when it's not about a woman's womb. 
But <laughs> they're just this is this is kind of like this is half of what Star Trek is for me. Half Star Trek, as as we will find out in a, in about two weeks, maybe is uh, the big questions. But the other half is just procedural, like yeah, asking like we have a problem. How do we solve it? Yeah. And I I love that they very very early cut on to the fact that like the like the transport is going to be a big part of the episode. So it's like stuff like okay, we can beam the one of the the, the kids over, but we have to put them in this like gel that will do them. And then like O'Brien's like, so I'm going to have to rig this so that the gel arrives a microsecond before the kid and does that. And then he's like, and also like, and then they, they, it, the the solution to the problem is to use the DNA that Plasky's got in the biofilter of the transporter and like rewire it significantly. So when she beams in, it's like an older version of her body, mm-hmm. which is a younger version of her body. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and it's like, it's very obvious from about halfway through the episode that this is going to be the transporter. And I love the fact that like O'Brien is the guy who's is in the transporter room. So he's like, well, he's the subject matter expert on this particular bit of kit. So we bring him in, and it's like he's there in sort of place of Geordie. Yeah. It's like, no, Geordie's the chief engineer, but he's our transporter specialist, so he's going to fix this. Yeah. And yeah, I really, I like that. I like the idea of that, of just being like, it's like when Mr. Singh showed up. Yeah. yeah he's our guy for that thing. <laughs> I also like that uh, O'Brien obviously figured out how to do it. Um, and then when it came time to actually press the button, uh, Captain Picard said, no, I'm the captain. If there is a chance that this is basically going to kill a crew member, I feel like I should yeah. be the guy to do it. And I feel like yeah, O'Brien, it's... basically what she wanted to say was, uh, basically what O'Brien wanted to say was, thank you, Captain, because I really like the science involved in this, but I'm I'm not getting court-martialed for some fucking tan turf boot. <laughs> I'd literally... If it, I'd rather she... I mean, don't get me wrong. I want her to fucking end up in space as much as the, <laughs> as much. As my, the next man. The next man being Data. <laughs> I I like that there is a moment in this. Cause so when um, Pulaski's on the shuttle with the uh, the 12-year-old, um, she has um, Data come on board for the obvious reason that Data can't get the, the disease. And um, she says to him at one point, as much I hate rem- as much as I hate to remind you, Data, you're a machine. It's like, <laughs> what do you mean? It's literally your favourite fucking thing to do. <laughs> Data should have said, "You've done it six times on the shuttle flight." <laughs> I, I, I like the idea that like somebody at fucking like involved in the writing of this season of TNG has gone. Well, I think that given that Pulaski's been on board the ship for a few episodes, she's probably had moments with Data, grown to accept him as a friend and crew member, and has left behind their previous prejudice. And somebody else in the room went, should we put that in an episode? And he went, no, we'll just assume it happened off screen. (laughs) (laughs) Did you notice uh, that Pulaski has started saying Data rather than Data? Yeah, she's started referring to him by his actual fucking yeah, name, no. which I assume is because everybody else on the ship was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I was going to say, <laughs> is that growth, or did she forget to be racist? <laughs> is it, but is it, is it growth, or is it just she wants to be socially accepted, and everybody else was giving a severe side-eye for being like, use his fucking name. Because yeah. uh, uh, calling him Dara is the equivalent of just being like, look, I can't pronounce whatever you're saying. It's, it's Patel. I, I, it's foreign. I can't understand it. I'm going to call you Pete, right? <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, we're go- and it's not just Peter, because obviously we already have a Pete, 
Now, we could call him White Pete, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> so, your name is, and then... Whew, that'll stick. Peter the, Peter, <laughs> Peter the P-word. That's, um... That's my mum's favourite argument as to why uh, there's no such thing as racism. Um, because... <laughs> your granny used to go to a, a shop owned by uh, Peter the P-word for, for 25 years, and he seemed to like it. Right, okay. Right, that's... But thank Excellent. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or tolerate it in a customer service manner. Yeah, uh. or and maybe in the nineteen nineties, nineteen eighties, and nineties in the west of Scotland, kicking off about what people have decided is an endearing nickname for you, probably isn't the best look, especially in an area like Deniston, which is pretty, pretty highly fucking uh, UVF. Uh, uh, maybe not UVF, but but. <laughs> but the Masons and and uh, and and them, you know them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Prods. So. <laughs> 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 uh, so- yeah, this is okay. One thing I wanted to say about this that I absolutely loved is um, when uh, Pulaski's on board the shuttle. There's a bit where they're talking about it back on the ship, and somebody uses the phrase "she's been in direct contact with the boy for 18 minutes," <laughs> and all I could and all I could think is, "Oh, she's going to need a Lucas aid." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 children are like because I don't think we've, they're telepathic as well. Yeah, so they can't. They don't. They don't communicate by talking. They're all super intelligent. They have telekinesis, uh, and now for the rest of their lives, can't be in the same room as any of the scientists that created them. Um, so they're going to be. Look, I I don't know if anybody in Starfleet has watched Wrath of Khan, but <laughs> you, and it is on there. Genet- <laughs> if you're going to leave genetically powered super children trapped alone on a godless planetary backwater for 30, 40 years, that might come back to bite you in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's baffling. Hmm. It's, it's like any any movie or TV show that deals with, oh, we made a bunch of super-powered kids and we put them in a, a horrible environment. It's like, you're asking for it. Like, I, yeah. I, I know that... I know how stories work, right? I know that a well-adjusted telekinetic fucking <laughs> fire starter kid, there wouldn't be much of a story, right? Because it would just, it would basically be stand by me, um, except when they go to see the dead body, when they get halfway there and the kids decide to go to sleep for the night, she's just like, oh, I, they can't, I've got the campfire, don't worry about it. And that'd be it. Yeah. Also, also I don't actually require sleep. So I'm just going to stand there, uh, yeah. keep an eye out. I'm gonna stare. I'm gonna stare in one direction. So psychologically, I want to write a book now just called "Psychologically Well Adjusted Psychic Child," and it's just the opposite of a Stephen King book. It's uh, gonna, gonna, I'm gonna set it in Maine, but the lead character is gonna be someone who's never like literally is illiterate, can't write. Uh, <laughs> After seeing Sunshine, my my mate at the time. Uh, turned around to me and said, I really want to write a script about a space mission that goes well. <laughs> so what would that look like? Uh oh, the mirror's cracked yeah. on the Hubble telescope. I we think it says it. everything everything you need to know about like narrative storytelling that we as a society made a movie of Apollo thirteen 
before Apollo 11. <laughs> yeah, no way. Because <laughs> that's it. That, that, that's what would happen in the pub. That's human nature, isn't it? People would be like, oh my God, did you see those three guys that went to the moon? How incredible was that? There'd always be some dour bastard in the corner that's like, yeah, but what if that was fucked up? <laughs> like, one of the most popular franchises of, of, like, the modern... Like, today's modern pop culture is Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. Which is basically, you know those animatronic things that you see at at, at pizza (laughs) restaurants and that? Yeah, they're fun, aren't they? They're pretty cool. They're a bit twee. Yeah, what if they were fucked up? (laughs) I got really lost in researching the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, I fell down that well at some point. Yeah. That's insane. That's, like, if you don't... If you if you if you don't know it if you if you know what Five Nights at Freddy's is if you're sort of tangentially aware of it, but you don't know what the actual lore is, do yourself a <laughs> favour. Don't look into it. Yeah, don't don't at all. No. It involves it involves a a lot of things that are not going to improve your day. Uh, you're better off just go read it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and and I say that as somebody who knows what's in the book. Yeah, um, I. <laughs> I'm never going to play those games because I don't like scary things. I don't like jump scares. I think they're cheap. And uh, have you ever played... What the fuck was it called? Fan... Not Phasmagoria. That was a thing on the Sega CD. Phasmophobia? I've I've heard of it, but I've never played it. Yeah, so it's basically a game where you go to a house, you're a paranormal investigator, you have to find various clues, you have to use a camera and like a UV light and like a, a, an EMF meter, um, and then eventually there will be uh, the scariest ghost you've ever seen, and you need to just uh, take it. Here's a great computer game idea. I want to make a realistic ghost hunting game. So you get all the gear, you go hunt, and you never find a ghost because they're not real. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I call it but the Zach Baggins experience. But FM, if you, you you have to play it online with three other people. And if the banter between the four of you is, like, interesting enough, uh, the end game is Discovery Channel pays you a lot of money. <laughs> pays you some money. Oh, no, do it, like, asymmetrical. Like um, like the uh, the Friday the 13th game. But yeah. instead of somebody being, like, Freddy, somebody else is just, like, the producer. And you just go around in, like, a back room and, like, knock on pipes. Because <laughs> that's... Because if you're unaware, like, like there was, like, a Reddit thread years ago about, like, what's the something secret about a job you used to have that you could tell people. And somebody was like, oh, I was a producer on, like, Ghost Adventures. And it's like, the crew... And it's like, the, the people doing the ghost hunting... They believe in ghosts, and they're not in on the fact that it's a joke. Yeah. But what the reactions that you get and the noises is just that we get bored after like three days of like being in this house. So it's just like after a couple of hours, some of you just go in and like just like whack on a pipe and then leave. And like when you see like a door move in the background, it's just one of them pushing it just to freak because they know that then they'll hear them scream like children. <laughs> How? No, this is going. I'm going to take a dark turn here. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Zach Bagans, right? Like, so Zach Bagans is like quite a famous ghost hunter guy. He's in Ghost Adventures, which I actually quite like. I because I think he's a lot of fun. He's a lunatic. Yeah. How, as a producer of that show, how difficult do you think it would be to hound Zach, to to go to places and hound Zach Bagan to to the point where he where he just ended it. Because, like, 
Presum presumably as the producer, you might have access to things like his social security number and that. <laughs> so if I was if I was in a if he goes to like the tiny little desert town where the OK Corral was or, or whatever, I'd, or, or 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 somewhere in the middle of Idaho, right? There's a population six thousand and there's an old theatre there that's presumably haunted. Like wait, how? Like basically, what do you think you could do that would make him think that? That that would make him think it's fake. My, well, well so okay. My, my question on how much I could fuck up with Zach Baggins in this situation comes on a very simple question, which is, does Zach Baggins have a dead sibling? Oh, and yeah. can I get if I can get him drunk enough to like confide in me some like real like personal stuff about how they died and then like but drunk enough that he doesn't remember that he told me that right oh yeah <laughs> and and because like then it's like psycho mantis reading your memory card right then you can like properly fuck with him <laughs> i love that that is my benchmark for being <laughs> properly fucked with is that time psycho mantis was like oh you've been playing fifa <laughs> <laughs> but no i think yeah if you had that because there's two ways you get zap bag and surrender it's like one if you could c categorically prove ghosts don't exist and he's wasted his life. But you can't do that. You can't prove a negative. Uh, and the other one is to, like, push him to the point where he, like, is, like, push him to, like, he thinks he's like a ghost hunter. Like, you can push him to the point where he thinks he's found something that the Winchesters would run across. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's when you can real get him. That's that's what I'd need to do. <laughs> just, just want to have, like, a voice just in the darkness just going... You never told anyone about your sister, did you, Zach? Or something like that. <laughs> I would, uh, I would, I would learn the because he seems like the type of guy that would use one password for everything. <laughs> and I, I'd learn that, and I, and I'd, and I'd say, I'd say it through some pipes. I no, do you know what I'd do? I'd, 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 I'd no. Here's what you do, right? Because here's. Because he's never this, there's an extra level to this that will get him really excited. I I, I don't want to look if you're if you're listening to this going this is this is admissible in court. No, I do not want to torture <laughs> Zach Bagans, Right? I I actually again I, I quite I quite like that show. I like but, him as well. I I like Zach Bagans quite a lot. I've got a lot of respect for the. He has seen what he believes to be incontrovertible evidence that the supernatural exists. Yeah, and he has dedicated his life to hunting down. Supernatural. That I respect the shit out of. That's why I've got no respect for flat earthers. You think the earth is flat and you haven't gone to the edge? Yeah. You fucking cowards. Ex exactly. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I have more respect for Zach Bagans than the vast majority of ghost hunters out there. Um, yeah. But I, I would tap, uh, I would tap his uh, dead sibling's name in Morse code on some pipes. <laughs> oh, he, does, he knows more code. More, more so that it, so it takes some fucking ages to figure it out. <laughs> I'd basically, I'd, I'd do like a dungeon master campaign. I would come up with like a, <laughs> like a, like an enemy, like a Vecna type character, and I, and I'd, and I'd make, I'd, I'd, I'd have that follow Zach around. Yeah, you do like light projection on smoke and shit like that. Like make him see things that glitch out, but yeah. make sure. Oh, yeah, you do that, and then you've because you're filming multiple takes, you can like swap them out in the van. Yeah. So when he comes back to look at the videos, nothing there. <laughs> yeah. I. Oh. I would. I mean. I mean, how how do you feel like like if you if you're the if you're the producer that sends Zach Bagans to a mental hospital, is is Discovery going to be happy with that? Mark, have we just written? Well, then it will do numbers. Uh, but have we have we just come up with one of the best ideas for a horror movie ever? 
Like, there's a, a the guy working on the producer has like some connection to the ghost hunter from their past that he doesn't know about and is seeking revenge on him and is using his belief in ghosts to drive him insane. I would I would watch the fucking shit out of that. The film. only the only problem is <laughs> the only way that it works is if we present it as if even in the in the marketing and things as if it is a real horror movie with a real ghost. Yeah. Um but and and you know what? People don't really like the Scooby Doo ending. They don't like finding out that it's just a janitor running a real estate scam, right? They like it <laughs> in Scooby Doo because it's because you already know going in and you're gonna figure it out. People don't like that as a twist. Um, Fuck them. <laughs> I once I once had an idea. It was while I was watching the movie Paul, and it was uh, what, what if the CIA uh, basically like made a fake UFO landing so convincing that conspiracy theorists really latched onto that in order to cover up a murder. <laughs> or a political oh, yeah. assassination. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's that's good. There's there's legs on both these ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I hope nobody's listening. If you these t, 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 TM and copyright, these are these are our ideas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is admissible in court. Yeah, when, we came when, up with this first after Zach, after Zach Bagans his tragic <laughs> death. Uh, this is not admissible if it comes to copyright law. That's the viral marketing. We you do like a we fucking... get Zach Bagans to kill himself. No, you get like a fucking you like the person who's playing your ghost hunter to like have a YouTube series that you do like is like for a couple of years of him doing ghost hunting until eventually he's like kickstarted the money uh, where he's going to do, do this big documentary and that's when you actually make your horror film because uh, there's there's a guy on YouTube called I think it's called the Polished Knob and he was a he I've never got around to watching all of it but he did one of the most amazing bits of YouTube work I've ever seen which is he started doing videos about cars like in like he lives in like the Australian outback right and he was doing videos about like oh his mates cars and their special modifications and after about the third or fourth video in the series of this he just starts mentioning that these like they're strangely like he's heard like he's chatting to his friend in the background that's just like heard audio of him being like yeah it's strange noises coming from like the land out the back of my my house and stuff like that and then slowly that builds up to the point where he was like trying to catch something on camera and like couldn't do it and then he literally was like oh I've been doing some crowdfunding and I've been sent a new night vision camera and then you see something on it and like the camera stops and it, yeah I got about like when Ooh. I was saw it it was up to a, it was quite a way through but I never like got around to like watching the end but it was absolutely like the slow burn genius of doing like I'm a normal YouTuber and slowly and my mate introduced me to it he goes he's either a creative genius or he's a man going through the worst thing that's happening to anybody on earth right now <laughs> yeah that's it what if there was a real haunting that people assumed that it was viral marketing for some cunt's YouTube channel that's the fucking horror movie we could combine those ideas the, the, the CIA has someone killed and then people just assume that it's viral marketing for some sort of YouTube crossover event with all the people for, that, that were ex what the, what the fuck was it the, 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 the channel with that guy who's a cunt um, oh it just could be anyone Doug, Doug, <laughs> Doug Walker the, the oh the, nostalgia critic yeah yeah uh, yeah, he turned out to be a piece of work, didn't he? Oh, he sure did. Ne- never enjoy anything, kids. <laughs> no, Espe- especially 
if that thing is uh, anything anything made by a white man, <laughs> because it's some it's uh, apart from this, because I'm fairly sure we're we're pretty died in the wool at this point, right? But we ev- eventually everything you every every white man you like is going to become like a big yeah like conservative right winger with the. With the exception of obviously of Cole Meany, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you do, if you do want something fun to watch and you're listening out there, go to um, uh, Folding Ideas on yeah, YouTube also, and yeah. his review of Doug Walker's review of Pink Floyd's The Wall is one of the best takedowns. <laughs> uh, it has the line, "He's a fundamentally uncurious person." <laughs> <laughs> Because it's like Doug Walker is like Doug Walker literally said that like the anti-education sentiment in the wall is pandering to a 1980s audience, failing to understand that it was written for a 1970s audience and referring to British education in the 1960s, which was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, anyway, Star Trek. You got uh, <laughs> you got anything else? Uh, yeah, I mean MVP O'Brien. MVP O'Brien, obviously. Promoted, Pulaski. Oh, there is one thing I want to bring up, um, and this is just a weird little thing that I noticed. Um, we talked a bit about like good ship design in Star Trek, like because uh, the Ferengis didn't really sell it; like they, their ship wasn't that great. Yeah. But the, the the Landry is like a it's like a saucer section with like two little nacelles coming off of it, and that's yeah. all it is. But it's a supply ship. Why wouldn't that be like? Yeah, where's big, the where's the cargo? Uh, where's the yeah? If it's just got two little, like make that twice the size. Like, like you've not got limited resources. Yeah. Like Jensen will knock you up a whole new ship if you want. You fit less stuff on that than you can fit on the Enterprise. Yeah. But <laughs> I tell you, by the way, I, I want to say one thing. Um, this is completely unrelated to this and related to strange new worlds. You know um, how we were talking about the Ferengi in season one was like their attempt to create a new like Klingon Romulan level threat that didn't really pan out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, strange new worlds has fucking done it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the you know the big um, rubber reptile that Kirk fought. The yeah, the Gorn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the Gorn are back and they don't even appear on screen and they're fucking terrifying. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Watch Strange New Worlds. I can't talk. It's so good. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, Top O'Brien episode. First use of O'Brien's full name. He's all over this episode. It's fucking great. Brilliant. Yep. Absolutely spot on. Can't yep. recommend it enough. Go for it. Yeah. Oh, one other thing. I've got one other thing. One other thing I wanted to bring up. When they beam Pulaski over, Picard literally has the gall to say, will she be normal again? <laughs> As opposed to being horribly horrifyingly old because if we all know anything that patrick stewart believes it's that people who have reached a significant age in years have no place in star trek watch picard (laughs) (laughs) yeah bye bye The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at EdEdwardsComedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.